My name is Jennifer Rackley, and I am a pediatric nurse practitioner, acute care certified. I work at uh, UF Health at Shands, and I am a heart transplant um, coordinator with pediatric heart transplant. And I am going to do a lecture today on cardiomyopathies. Um, this lecture is borrowed from Dr. Renata Shi, who uh, presents this lecture to residents on their way in through um, medical school. There are four different types of cardiomyopathies. In general, in general the um, cardiomyopathy simply means there is a disease in the muscle of the heart. The first cardiomyopathy we're going to talk about is hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. It, it, I mean, clearly, y'all can read the definition here on the slide, but really the important thing to understand about this type of cardiomyopathy is that the wall of the heart, the, the myocardium, is thickened but it is not dilated. So the heart itself is still the same size, uh, but the, the, um, the muscle of the heart is very thickened and that will impact um, your preload and that will impact significantly your cardiac output. In general, this type of cardiomyopathy impacts about one of 500 people in the general population. There are several different ways that one can get a, um, a hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Uh, these are particular left ventricular outflow tract obstruction, which uh, simply means that uh, on the way out of the left ventricle, there is some sort of uh, hypermuscularity or some obstruction as the blood's trying to leave through the aortic valve. Uh, any kind of myocardial ischemia, small vessel disease, anything that's preventing uh, the needed blood flow to the muscle itself. Uh, diastolic dysfunction, and this can be um, from myocardial, myocardial fibrosis. And there are many varying genetic defects that can cause uh, this hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Some clinical features of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy would include exertional limitations, meaning when you are working out or you're being very active, you might become very dyspneic. You might have increased fatigue and certainly you're at risk for um, syncope or feeling like you're going to pass out uh, and sudden death is a real um, uh, worry with this type of cardiomyopathy. As a matter of fact, this is the type of cardiomyopathy that tends to lead to sudden death events uh, with athletes while they're playing basketball or football. This is usually not something that can, it, it would be undiagnosed and it will show up in an unfortunate, very acute manner. Um, the physical exam, if it was noted uh, and caught early, you could find a systolic ejection murmur that would be louder if you were uh, listening while they were standing up or if they were having a Vassava maneuver bearing down, um, you would hear the, the murmur would get uh, louder during that process as the blood was being forced through uh, in, in, a, in a, a gradient. Risk factors for sudden death from hypertrophic cardiomyopathy uh, would be prior cardiac arrest or sustained SVT, family history of premature sudden death or hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, unexplained syncope, they haven't had any neurological reasons, they're not diabetic, they have no problem with blood glucose, uh, significant left ventricular hypertrophy that would show up on an echo. Uh, you would also maybe find that on a large heart. Um, well, you'd really just see it on an echo. Multiple repetitive non-sustained uh, ventricular tachycardias, uh, that could be found in either an EKG or they would have symptoms of that, which would include the syncope or near syncope. Um, they could also be sent home with a halter monitor to manage uh, or evaluate their EKGs over several days. 
and they might be found to have hypotension during exercise, whereas that's the exact opposite of what you expect. You should have hypertension during exercise. These folks will get hypotensive and therefore lead to potential uh, syncope or near syncopal event. The goal for treatment with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy is to slow the heart rate down and allow for greater filling, which is going to improve your preload. It's going to improve your cardiac output and, and very much help with your uh, symptoms of especially uh, syncopal events. I mean, that's happening because, you know, you're not getting enough perfusion in the brain. So we do this with beta blockers. Uh, the list there of the, you know, pretty common beta blockers that we use. Um, and uh, that's the first treatment that we use is beta blockers. Another tool in the medical management of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy is using a calcium channel blocker like verapamil. Uh, you get the benefit of, like, you get, again, the whole benefit of relaxation in the, in the heart, improving the diastolic function, um, and therefore you're going to improve your cardiac output and stroke volume that way. Uh, unfortunately, with this one, you have to be careful because you also will decrease the pulmonary venous pressures, which may cause some pulmonary edema. Uh, so this is something you'll definitely have to, to watch. Continued medical management of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy would include any kind of heart failure management. And you will see as we go through these, these are all very similar. We, you look at using an ACE inhibitor to um, decrease the blood pressure, reduce your afterload, diuretics, again, to reduce the afterload, uh, digoxin, which will help with the squeeze, aldactone, Coumadin, or any other anticoagulation, Xeralto is a newer medication that is becoming very popular. Coumadin has a very narrow therapeutic window, and um, you have to do a lot of blood tests with Coumadin. Xeralto, you can uh, avoid that, and it's been becoming a popular uh, use. Um, the only uh, known prevention of the sudden death component of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy is having an implanted AICD, uh, automatic internal cardiac defibrillator. This is set up um, by an electrophysiologist doctor, and they will determine how long an SVT that one will be allowed to stay in before a prescribed shock will happen. Um, you don't have to have the same level of uh, milliamps as you would on an external shock. Um, however, from uh, from experience, from the hearing from patients who've had a shock, it does feel like you're getting kicked in the chest by a horse. There is a surgical intervention with HCM, and that is a what we call a myomectomy. So basically, the surgeon's going to go in and remove some muscle tissue. Try to kind of like think about like coring out a um, a watermelon, just scooping some muscle out of that. You have to be careful to not get into any of your um, your tissue that where your conduction tissue might be. Uh, it is it can help some patients, and other patients it's no help at all, and they end up kind of back in the same spot. And not every patient who has HCM will end up needing a heart transplant. However, some will. They will do that simply because their quality of life is diminished. They're not able to do the things they would like to do. They're not able to go for runs. They're not able to be very active or go for hikes without feeling the impact. Uh, even if they're very well medically managed, they might not be able to do what they want. And if that's a big enough issue, then they might choose to come to the heart transplant route. However, after hearing about heart transplant, others often 
uh, choose to keep their heart and just live a modified lifestyle. The next cardiomyopathy we're going to discuss is the dilated cardiomyopathy. Um, this is the most common cardiomyopathy of the four that we're going to discuss today. Um, this cardiomyopathy leads to left ventricular dilatation and dysfunction, often resulting in very low cardiac output. Um, these people will have a lot of signs and symptoms of cardiogenic shock or just low cardiac output state where you're not meeting in-organ uh, function. Your in-organ function starts to decline. It's being impacted. Uh, certainly, um, this really impacts your GI tract, which is generally how these people present. The etiology for DCM can be quite varied. Um, there are genetic reasons. There are infections that may cause it. Um, if you're having a cancer treatment, anthracycline, which is a known cancer agent, can cause uh, dilated cardiomyopathy. Uh, varied autoimmune diseases, metabolic storage diseases, mitochondrial diseases. There are many. Um, cardiomyopathy can be caused just from uh, persistent tachycardia. Um, dilated cardiomyopathy can be caused from hypothyroid. If you have untreated hypothyroid over time, that can cause dilated cardiomyopathy. Being anemic can cause uh, dilated cardiomyopathy. So there are many varied uh, reasons why one may end up with this particular type of myopathy. The previous slide mentioned genetics as a reason why one may have a dilated cardiomyopathy or DCM. And muscular dystrophy is definitely a reason why this could occur. There are, there are many different uh, types of muscular dystrophy. Um, we have transplanted two in our program, Beckers and Duchenne's. Um, they can have a good quality of life after a transplant. Interestingly enough, these folks will not be symptomatic, uh, mostly because uh, they are not as active. They're not able to, um, they don't require as much from cardiac output, and so they can be asymptomatic. It is something that is screened for in this population. They will have echoes with almost every appointment to make sure they're not having some myopathy. Um, what heart failure symptoms you may have or you may see not surprising respiratory distress. If the blood flow is not flowing out, you're going to get uh, re you're going to have backup into your lungs. Uh, GI symptoms. Again, we mentioned that earlier. If you have um, like poor perfusion, if you're having a low cardiac output state, you your body will act like you're having a GI bug. And this is oftentimes how people present. They will come to the emergency room thinking they're having some significant GI bug. And once they take a listen to them, they have pulmonary edema. Um, they do a chest X-ray and they notice their heart is very enlarged. And that uh, starts the, the, the rest of the, the workup, which will include um, uh, echo and EKG and that's where they will oftentimes find the uh, low ejection fraction, the low cardiac output state. Um, if in babies, you will not, you will see it as much as having poor weight gain, feeding intolerance, uh, sweating while they eat. These things are all abnormal. And in infants, they should want to eat. They should eat pretty frequently. And so if they're having problems eating and then they're having some respiratory distress, that is definitely something to get checked out. Cardiogenic shock, of course, is uh, when we're not... the the metabolic demand of the body is not being met and from a cardiac standpoint. This is not the, you, you bring them in and you try to give them fluid and it doesn't help. That's definitely a clue that they're in cardiogenic shock and they will need pressors uh, and diuretics often to help get them uh, in a much safer space in terms of hemodynamics. Some physical exams that you will find when you have a patient with DCM, they will definitely be tachycardic. 
they're not able, their ejection fractions are probably going to be in the 30s or 40s, and, you know, normal is usually in the 50, 60 range. Uh, even 20s and teens, um, we've seen ejection fractions very, very low. And so uh, the body's trying to compensate for that by having a, an increased heart rate. Uh, they will have an elongated cap refill. They will note on, on laboratory results, their creatinine may be elevated. Their transaminases may be elevated. Their AST and ALT would, might be showing some dysfunction. As the liver and kidneys aren't getting enough blood flow, um, they would be very, very angry. Another uh, marker for heart inflammation that might show up is an elevated brain natriuretic protein, BMP. Um, if in a heart that's really struggling, that can be up in the thousands, and it should be in the teens um, or in the tens. A low, low number should be a very low number. Uh, you may hear a systolic murmur at the apex, um, and um, and that would be in the uh, mitral valve area that you'd be listening to. Uh, a gallop is not uncommon, and again, respiratory distress, uh, pulmonary edema. Uh, these, they will have, um, you know, little babies might be grunting, a nasal flaring. Uh, they will likely require some sort of respiratory support. One particular reason why someone may have a dilated cardiomyopathy is something called alcapa. That is an anomalous left coronary that's coming, originating from the PA, the pulmonary artery. And so um, that is clearly deoxygenated blood. The heart does not like deoxygenated blood. It likes it to be very oxygenated. And so a surgeon may be able to explant that uh, coronary and put it in the proper location coming right out of the aorta. Uh, and that is oftentimes the fix if they have alcapa. That's definitely something that gets uh, investigated when, if a baby comes in and some dilated cardiomyopathy presentation. Inborn errors of metabolism, that's something that babies are, are screened for. And if they have something that's showing up and they have uh, dilated cardiomyopathy symptoms, um, that can be adjusted with just sometimes a diet, uh, alteration in diet. Uh, otherwise, the heart failure treatment is, again, pretty consistent. We've talked about this before, diuretics, vasodilators. In this particular instance, ionotropic support is very important. Milrinone is a positive ionotrope. It not only increases the squeeze of the heart, but it also vasodilates. So you, you decrease your afterload, and you're actually increasing the, the strength of the squeeze. That's very, very helpful in these dilated cardiomyopathy patients. Uh, some will require a ventricular assist device. Berlin is one that we use in our smaller patients, but if they're, it's a teenager or someone who is able to safely be able to care for outside of the hospital, they may get a hardware or a syncardia. Um, these are able to be managed out of the hospital. And then last but not least, if this is not something that gets better, and some do, some we have to be patient. And the, over time, the, the heart failure will improve with medical management. But if it does not, the last thing that we have to offer is a heart transplant. The chronic treatment of DCM is going to look very much like other heart failure management with the addition of the aldosterone antagonists like aldactone or spironactone. And this medication has that added benefit of having some remodeling ability. It will remodel the heart and you will actually uh, potentially have a long-term management of uh, DCM without having a heart transplant. Um, the other medications we've talked about um, before and are very important in management of this disease. The third uh, myopathy that we're going to talk about is restrictive cardiomyopathy. This myopathy is very interesting in that it, it has very impaired 
uh, relaxation, very impaired uh, diastolic function, but you have a near normal systolic function. So on a on an echocardiogram, you will see uh, EFs in the 60 to 70 range sometimes, um, and and they will have a clearly abnormal diastolic indices and diastolic function. Um, these folks really can be impaired by uh, dehydration. If these folks get dehydrated, they will pass out uh, pretty quick. They will have be very symptomatic if these guys get dehydrated. Um, so it, you have to balance diuretics in this particular group of myopathy. The etiology for RCM, uh, there's going to be a, a, a very much a code word that you're going to hear through all that, and this almost always fibrosis. There are some reason why the heart is stiffer. It's not able to relax very well. This may be a familiar reason. It may be idiopathic. There's no known reason. They can't find anything in genetics or in family history. Or there could be a, a plethora of diseases that might cause um, that kind of restrictive fibrotic function of the heart. Uh, these may include scleroderma, uh, Gaucher disease, glycogen storage disease, um, sarcoidosis. These are reasons why we have seen in transplant uh, patients with sarcoidosis and scleroderma both be needing uh, transplant because of this restrictive function. Um, also, if you've had a heart transplant, it is not uncommon to have restrictive function because um, there is some known diastolic dysfunction as soon as you transplant the heart. It's been on ice. It is no longer innervated. It's a de-innervated heart, meaning the, the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system is not going to uh, have any impact on that heart because there's no connected nerve endings. So that is one of the predicted reasons why there is uh, restrictive function. Uh, also, it can be a sign of chronic rejection and can be the reason why these uh, folks will either need to be retransplanted or they will not survive that transplant. There is also an endomyocardial reasons for uh, RCM, and, and these are including the ones that we say here, the endomyocardial fibrosis. Again, fibrosis is a real big keyword in all of this. Also, metastatic cancers or radiation can cause the heart to be very restrictive, and this is from the endocardium on the inside of the heart. That particular area gets very restricted. And the heart muscle itself is fine, but for whatever reason, the endocardium will not relax. Again, Really important to remember that in RCM, you're going to have a, a near normal systolic function. It is the diastolic dysfunction that causes the disease. Clinical features of RCM. Uh, it is RCM looks a lot like right heart failure in that because of the inability to fill, you have you have a lot of backup and you have systemic backup. And so hepatomegaly in ascites is not uncommon. Uh, a gallop is often heard in these in these patients. They might have a history of syncope, either from arrhythmias uh, or thromboembolism, because they've they've had some clotting problems. Uh, and pulmonary distress is also pretty known. Uh, dyspnea on exertion, exercise intolerance with any of the myopathies, that's pretty common. Anytime your heart's not meeting your cardiac output or metabolic demand, um, and you are having backup into the lungs, you're going to see a lot of dyspnea. The management of RCM is going to look very familiar to you. Um, the medications are very, very similar. As a matter of fact, they're the same. ACE inhibitors, diuretics, DIG, calcium channel blockers, and beta blockers. This is your typical heart failure uh, cocktail. 
is not uncommon in some instances to use um, CoQ10, carnitine, these kinds of things to help the heart are not uncommon and can be used in any of the myocardial diseases. The last cardiomyopathy we're going to talk about is also the least prevalent cardiomyopathy, and that is left ventricular non-compaction cardiomyopathy. The, the, the definition of that is that there is prominence of the trabeculations in the left ventricle. That means if you looked at an uh, echo, the trabeculations would be very, very large, and that would be eating into your ability for uh, cardiac output. Your preload would be impacted. There's just not enough space in that area. It's, it's not uh, hypertrophic. It's not the, the muscle of the, the heart that's causing the problem. It is trabeculations that are invading in the space that would allow for good fill. Um, this can be also presence of deep recesses between the trabeculations, and there's also a thin compacted layer underneath. The clinical presentation for LV non-compaction is uh, pretty varied. You can be asymptomatic. You might have this issue and never know it in your entire life, or you may progress to symptoms of heart failure. Uh, arrhythmias are, are most likely ventricular in nature, and certainly if you are having ventricular arrhythmias, that will get you an, an echocardiogram, and that's where LV non-compaction would be noted. If one has LV non-compaction cardiomyopathy and they have a normal ejection fraction, they may not need any um, of the heart failure regimen at all. They can maybe just manage with a, a, an aspirin, most likely a baby aspirin. Otherwise, if they have LV non-compaction associated with DCM, they would be on diuretics and an ACE inhibitor. Or if they have an LV non-compaction associated with an HCM, they could be on beta blockers or calcium channel blockers. Um, and then if it's a metabolic disease that has caused this, they could be on carnitine or CoQ10 or thiamine or riboflavin. These are all used uh, in treatment of an LV non-compaction. In conclusion, cardiomyopathies, all four different types, are able to be medically managed. Um, and if they respond to that medical management, that is, of course, the best way to go. Uh, it can impact their lives. They may have to uh, be mindful of what they do and how they do it. Uh, in terms of physical activity. Um, these patients will be followed very closely with a pediatric cardiologist, and if and they progress into adulthood, they will be transitioned into an adult cardiologist. Um, if they do not respond to medical management, the last course of treatment that we have to offer is, of course, a heart transplantation. Uh, it is important to remember that that is not a cure. That is simply exchanging one set of issues for a different set of issues. However, we hope that they have improved quality of life with a heart transplant. Uh, and if they do everything they're supposed to, they can hopefully live a pretty long time with that transplanted heart. In the pediatric world, it's important to note that ventricular assist device are not a bridge to, um, they are not a destination device. In the adult world, a VAD can be used if they're not a heart transplant candidate. They can be sent home with a ventricular assist device, and that's what they will have until they succumb um, from various reasons. Um, oftentimes, it's a stroke or the machine can malfunction. In the pediatric world, a VAD is not a destination device. It is simply a bridge to transplant. And so uh, if a cardiomyopathy does not respond to medical management in the pediatric world, a heart transplant is really the last thing that we have to offer.
Thank you so much for listening and paying attention. I hope this uh, presentation uh, explains some interesting details that you did not know about cardiomyopathies and good luck in your class and good luck in the future.